Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to the Gospel according to Matthew. I'm turning to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and turning to page 811 in the Church Bibles. And we'll begin our reading back at verse 5 and reading uh, the section together. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and to pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. We have been looking at uh, the topic of prayer in uh, our evenings together over the last number of weeks, and we have been looking at uh, this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, which is oftentimes called the Lord's Prayer, uh, to frame our our study of thinking about this most important aspect of uh, the Christian life, communing, communicating with the living God. How do we relate with God? How do we express ourselves? What kinds of things do we talk to God about? What is appropriate? What is off limits? How should I think about the one that I am addressing? All of these questions come to the forefront when we think about prayer. But as we've been looking at uh, this uh, prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, you remember that in the first three petitions, those first three requests, Jesus was teaching his disciples about the centrality of God in prayer. That when we pray, our prayers should be centered on God's glory. We pray about God's name. Hallowed be your name. We pray about God's work. Your kingdom come. We pray about uh, God's will. Your will be done. And so Jesus is teaching us that when we come in prayer, there is uh, an aspect in which we are centered on the glory of God. But as we turn back to the Lord's Prayer this evening, you'll notice that prayer is not only focused on the glory of God, that we are also welcomed and encouraged to lay before God our own needs as well. That Jesus opens up this whole topic of bringing before God what weighs upon us personally and what we ourselves have needs of as servants of God. 
And so this evening we want to look at, because God graciously provides for us, that we are to trust in his care. And we want to look at verse 11 in two thoughts. We want to think about the petition, and then we want to think about the purpose of that petition. The petition is, is for God to give us this day our daily bread. Give us bread. But then we also want to think about the purpose uh, that comes from this. What are we being taught in praying these words? Well, first, uh, we're looking at the petition. If you stop and think about your relationships with other people, uh, the way we relate with people uh, is going to be based on the, the degree of familiarity and trust, uh, how much we have uh, grown close with one another and share in common with others. The way that you speak with a stranger is different than the way that you speak with a friend. You have, you have formed a bridge with a friend that allows you a greater sense of intimacy. Uh, you can open up and share more of yourself because there has been that relationship, that foundation of trust that has been built. And so we speak to people differently based on the relationships that we have. But we also know in our own experience, you might know people that you speak with, that you have something in common with them. You might have a shared hobby with them, a shared interest in some topic. And whenever you get together, you can immediately start talking about that given topic. But there may be other things that are more off, off limits. To raise those issues would be uncomfortable, perhaps even unwelcomed. And so there may be someone that you can talk about sports till the cows come home. But to bring up perhaps matters of faith would be less of an open dialogue. Maybe there wouldn't be that same reception or openness. And so oftentimes the conversation veers away from that one category and veers back to what is familiar and open. We recognize there's boundaries in our relationships. But when you stop and think about prayer, what kind of things can we talk to God about? Should we only come to God talking about uh, uh, what we might deem as spiritual things? Do we only talk to God about things that we might intuitively think are appropriate? Maybe prayer sounds like we should only talk about the greatness of God. And Jesus is teaching us that we should. We should pray about the glory of God. We might even think that it's appropriate for us in prayer to talk about our own sense of uh, a humility before God, our lowliness, perhaps even speaking of our unworthiness of his kindness as servants before our God and King. But notice here that Jesus pushes us in the way that we think about prayer. Because in prayer, we're not just talking about the greatness of God, not just talking about the lowliness of us as being servants. But Jesus is saying it is okay. In fact, it is good for you to pray to God about your needs. That God welcomes and encourages us to give expression to our requests. To pray about our sense of dependence before God. And to ask uh, for our daily bread. And so there's, it's telling us here something that we don't, we don't limit our life. Saying there are certain things that I can bring up before God in prayer. But there are other things, those don't fall under the, the umbrella 
uh, of coming before God with. We don't have to split our lives into two categories where we say there's a religious aspect and then there's my real life that I live. But Jesus is actually saying that when you pray, you come before God with your needs and you pray those needs. Because as he already said, your father in heaven already knows what you need. And so there's no point denying our needs, but rather to humbly lay them before him. And that includes even our daily bread. And so Jesus here uh, teaches us that we should pray about uh, uh, our, our daily bread. What does that mean? Bread here, when Jesus says uh, to pray, give us this day our daily bread, he's not simply talking about physical loaves of bread. He is talking about loaves of bread, but he's talking more than physical loaves of bread. Bread in the ancient Middle Eastern world was the staple diet. And so bread came to stand for all food. Uh, it would be like here in the island, we would think of potatoes as a staple diet, that it's not uncommon for potatoes to be a side dish, to be incorporated in every meal, as it were. And here in the ancient world, bread was uh, always being eaten. And so breads represented all food. The psalmist, we were just singing in Psalm 104, the psalmist talks about how the Lord provides uh, food, literally bread in Psalm 104. It says, the Lord brings forth bread out of the earth and bread which strengthens man's heart. So Jesus here is talking about all food that is necessary for life. But we could even push it even uh, beyond that. That when Jesus is talking about, give us this day our daily bread, he's thinking about that which is necessary for life. And there's a couple of reasons why we can think that. One is because when you think back to the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned and God pronounced a curse on sin, that when God spoke to Adam in the garden, it says in Genesis uh, that uh, the Lord said, Cursed is the ground because of you. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. That Adam was being told that the work that he would be engaged in would include such strain that it would produce sweat upon the face. That in order to live, in order to survive, his work would be a labor instead of a delight. That all that was necessary for Adam to stay alive would be produced through a painful exertion rather than an enjoyable uh, delight. And so even in the language of the curse, we see that life itself, the working in order to sustain life, would involve great difficulty. That includes the work of getting food, but also of having clothing, of having shelter uh, to, uh, to provide for life. But we can also see it even when we think how Paul writes to Timothy. In his letter to Timothy, Paul writes, if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. So Paul talks not just about having our physical food necessary for life, but Paul says clothing is also part of the necessities of having life itself. 
And so when we're thinking about this petition here, it obviously includes physical bread, but it's involving the food that we need in order to live. It's involving, we could say, what is necessary to sustain physical life. Now, why is Jesus teaching his disciples to pray these words? And it seems like we can say at least for two reasons. One, because Jesus is stressing the value of the physical. That there is always a tendency, whether in religious circles or in secular circles, to downplay at times the physical and to focus or to elevate the non-physical, the spiritual or the immaterial. That we can start to think of ourselves as the real self is the not the physical. And we almost, we almost separate the two. The physical is not important. And the spiritual is all important. In religious circles, this sometimes takes hold because we start to think, well, if God is spirit and I can't see God and I relate to the God who is not by physical touch, but by relating to him spiritually, then perhaps the God who is spirit is only interested in the mental exercise, in the spiritual exercise of devotion unto him, of contemplation unto him. And we begin to think the God who is isn't interested in the physical. He must only be interested in the spiritual. And what the scriptures teach us and what Jesus is teaching us is that that is a very dangerous way of thinking. James Packer once said, neither our minds nor our hearts are right till we see that it is necessary and important to pray for our daily bread as for the forgiveness of sins. That, that our bodies are important and that we should value the physical. The Bible teaches that we are made fearfully and wonderfully as physical, spiritual beings. We are made body and soul. And when we, when we lose that appreciation, when we begin to downplay or to deny either aspect, it, it, it affects us in a negative way. If someone doesn't want to uh, take care of their body, if a person is refusing to eat, because they're only concerned about their inner self. They're not wanting to take care of their physical needs. Their, their life is actually threatened, impoverished, in danger. And so the scriptures are highlighting that we are made body and soul. And we are to recognize what it means to be human. We don't separate. We don't split. We don't elevate uh, the spirit over against the body. But we, we, we were made as body and soul and both good. The Apostle John reflects this understanding in his third letter when he expressed his wish to Gaius. He said, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you be, may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. That it is that you're in good health as it is with your soul. Both the body and the soul are important. So why does Jesus teach us to pray this? 
In part, we could say, because Jesus is making sure that we appreciate the physical, uh, that we are made body and soul, and that we don't neglect one aspect of our need and only uh, look at a fragmented view of human nature. But then secondly, another reason why Jesus teaches us to pray these words is in order to call attention to our dependence. You may not like the idea of being thought of as dependent or as needy. And yet part of what makes us human, our physical bodies, what they do is as they stress our dependence. Our physical bodies depend on food in order to live, to survive. We, we rely on constant provisions uh, in order to live. We are not self-sufficient beings, but we need food and clothing uh, in order to live. Not only this, but our physical dependence on food. We need food to survive. But our dependence on food also gives way to our dependence on the acquiring of what we need to live. We need food in order to live. But we also depend on God for that provision as well. The farmer, the gardener, sows seed into the earth with the hope of bringing out a harvest. But the sun and the rain that the Lord provides is what causes that seed to grow. The food that we enjoy is still something that is dependent on the Lord's blessing. And so here is a recognition that we are dependent creatures. We are not self-sufficient, but that we need food. And that food is something that we ourselves cannot produce uh, of our own ability uh, um, uh, automatically. In our global world, in a very interconnected economy, we can go to the grocery store and you can see tons of food before you. You see uh, bananas and you see pineapples. You see tons of food all before you. And it can begin to produce the illusion that I am self-sufficient. I can, I can attain all that I need. That I am able to acquire what I need and I don't need anyone else. In our world where people can purchase things on credit, it, it produces the illusion that I have self-sufficiency, that I don't depend on anyone for anything. And we, we operate with this notion that we are okay as if we have control over everything. When Jesus here is emphasizing that we actually uh, depend on uh, outside factors and we ultimately depend on the Lord himself. The danger is, is that when we don't have any pressing needs before us, we begin to think that's all because we have it under control. And that's exactly what Moses warned the people of in the wilderness. You remember in Deuteronomy 8, it says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get the wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So we can become quite lax and self-confident when we don't feel the pressing need around us. And we begin to think that we don't have any sense of dependence. 
We can do it on our own. And Israel was being taught that they were to realize that everything that they had was ultimately from God. That they were still dependent on God and they were not to grow, as it were, fat in the heart uh, of being lax towards their sense of dependence. You remember Jesus in one of his parables, he talks about the rich farmer whose land produced plentifully. And since he had nowhere to store his crops, he decided to tear down his barns and to build bigger ones. And then he could say, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But in that parable, he was described as a fool. He was described as a fool because he did not acknowledge that what he had was given ultimately from God, but because he did not recognize his true situation. Just because his physical needs had been met did not mean that he was not dependent. He was blind to his true situation as one who is dependent. And it it blinded him from the reality that he is needy. He thought he was able to relax because he had everything in control. So Jesus teaches us to pray for our physical needs because we're creatures. And because we're creatures, we're inherently dependent. And because we're inherently dependent, we need to look to God who is ultimately in control. Psalm 145 says, The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Not only does Jesus teach his disciples uh, to pray for their physical needs, but he teaches them to pray for their daily bread or each day, that they would assume a constant posture of dependence. That's what we were reading about in Exodus. You remember they were to go out and to collect the manna each and every day. Uh, And as they were to do that, they were seeing the Lord's provision for them. But you remember that some of the people tried to hoard some, uh, to leave it uh, longer than a day, and then it stank and bred worms. Others went out on the Sabbath looking for some, and there was none. And the people were being pressed to learn of the Lord's provision, rather than to simply get their physical needs met. Now we might object to this. Why is it that God wants his people to live this way? Why is it that the Lord made them go out daily to get their manna? Why is it that Jesus wants us to pray for our daily bread? It's because ultimately life does not consist in food. Life does not consist in our body having clothing, but in trusting God. And that what is key is is that God was teaching the people not just that they need food for their bodies, but that God is faithful to care for those needs. And they need to be able to look beyond simply the physical pressing need to the one who can ultimately meet those needs. Again, imagine imagine a child growing up in a family and the cupboards are full of food. The, The child sits down to eat every evening at supper with the family. Mom and dad bring out the supper meal. But that child lives with an understanding that I need food to live. If I don't have food, I'll starve. 
And so that child starts taking food from the fridge and from the cupboards and hoards it under the, under the bed. Now, that child is checking off the, the, the box, I need food to live. But what are their actions actually showing? That they don't trust mom and dad to provide for that need. So why is it that God did this to Israel in the wilderness? Why is it that Jesus is teaching us to pray for our daily bread? Well, we need these things. But more than that, we need to know that God is faithful in providing for those things. That we would learn day by day that God's faithfulness is being confirmed in our life. That he has proven himself to being faithful with uh, our daily needs. And so as we uh, recognize our physical needs, we are seeing something of God's care and faithfulness being confirmed. We, you may be sitting here this evening as someone who doesn't incorporate prayer into your life. Jesus is actually highlighting here a way in which you can bring prayer into the rhythm of how you live. Because you need to eat. You need to eat. God has made you this way where you need food. And Jesus is saying, as you live, as you need food, make it an occasion for prayer. And that's why Christians have made it a practice of praying before they eat the meal. They are recognizing that this is a gift that God has provided. They are testifying God is good and he has provided for us yet again. And so it becomes a daily testimony to those around, but to oneself as well, that God has helped us yet again. He provided for us yesterday, and he has provided for us again today. And that helps us think about the, the purpose of prayer. It becomes the habit of life. As we are, we are calling attention to the God who cares for us and applying it to the moment we're in. And that can help you when you're going about your daily business. Maybe before you begin your schoolwork, or maybe before you begin your workday, you can begin with prayer and ask God, this day, help me with what I'm about to face, knowing that you've helped me yesterday and you helped me the day before. It's calling attention to God's track record. And it becomes a way of incorporating prayer into the rhythm of your life. Jesus then is teaching us to pray because not only are we dependent, but because God is faithful. As the Lord cares for our physical needs, the more we see that, the more we can see how God is teaching us that he also provides for our spiritual needs too. You think about Jesus' ministry. Jesus has a great following uh, coming and listening to him and, and following him in all that he's doing. And it tells us that there was a great crowd and they were without food. But Jesus didn't dismiss them. But instead, he miraculously feeds a great multitude. He, he provides for their physical stomachs. But then Jesus takes that and shows a greater display or a greater fullness of his care by saying, and I'm the bread of life. When Jesus says that everyone who looks on the Son of Man and believes in him 
will have eternal life. Jesus is expressing himself as the care of God who provides for our needs temporarily, yes, there, but also eternally for our soul. Jesus came into this world so that we would no longer be without righteousness, but that we would have life in his name. And so this prayer is calling attention to the care of God, which ultimately points us to the work of the Lord Jesus. So there's the petition. Give us this day our daily bread. But what are the purposes or the blessings that come from this? And let me mention just three very quickly. One is the blessing of contentment. One of the purposes of, uh, of this petition is, is that it helps us to regulate our desires. While it upholds the importance of the physical, it also helps us to regulate and to find contentment in what is necessary. Instead of being pulled slowly and subtly to the mindset that I deserve more or I can't be happy unless I have as much as others, I learn that what is necessary, God will care for and I can be content in what he gives. We, we learn that we can adjust our expectations and, and pray the words of Agur, give me neither poverty nor riches, that we are trusting in the Lord to feed us with the food that is needful for us. We might wonder, how can we pray these words when we have food in our cupboards? That could last several days. When we have food perhaps in our fridges that could get us through uh, a snowstorm, how do we pray this sense of daily dependence? But this prayer is not just about the provision of the physical food. Jesus is teaching us to pray this prayer for the enjoyment of that provision. As, as the old commentators would say, in order that we would derive the sweetness of it. So that we would be able to appreciate it for what it is. Because as the book of Job highlights, it's possible to have physical bread and yet to loathe life. It's possible to have bread and still to loathe life. And what Jesus is saying is, is pray to God. Give us this day our daily bread. In order that we would live with a sense of appreciation that what we have is a gift. And what Ecclesiastes is teaching us is when we realize that God gives according to his will, according to our needs, we actually come away enjoying life more because we derive a satisfaction that what we have is an expression of care. That what we have is from God. That's what it means to derive the sweetness from the things of this life. So we can pray this prayer even when we see food in our fridges, even when we see the food on our table, even though the food is already there. We can still pray daily, bless this food that we are going to have physically. Bless this food spiritually that I would be grateful. Bless this food that I might be able to give praise to God in response. 
and to be satisfied with the life that he has given to me. So it gives us contentment. It also gives us confidence. This petition reigns in our fear. Rather than living in fear of the what-ifs or of the future, we are able to zero in on the needs of today, and we're able to depend on him in the, in the issues before us. Again, with so much of life, we can, we can be pulled apart, thinking about all the, the weights that are coming upon us. But whether it's my work, or whether it's my food, or the needs that are before me, I can begin by saying, this day, provide for my needs. And as I go through this day, may I rest in your care. It gives us confidence and keeps us from being controlled by fear. It also gives us, thirdly, compassion. Jesus teaches us in this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Christ's disciples are not only concerned about their own needs, but recognizing that we are all dependent on the Lord's provision, we are to be concerned about the needs of one another. Someone by the name of Douglas Kelly, a church historian, says, even as we pray for our own needs, our eyes are always on others. And then listen to this. This reflects who Christ is and who he would have us to be. Why do we pray these words? Because our God cares and we're to care for one another. Why should we pray for our daily bread? Because we need to be cared for and we need to care for one another. We're dependent and so are each of us. And so as we pray these words, it not only calls attention to our sense of dependence, it calls attention to the care and the provision of God. And in that we can celebrate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about uh, our own needs, that we would be people who can honestly confess uh, that we stand uh, dependent on your provision. We thank you, Lord, for our daily bread. We thank you for the provision of our physical needs. And we thank you that you are a God who provides for us both physically and spiritually. Help us, Lord, then to be grateful for bread that nourishes our body and for the bread of life that gives eternal life to all who believe. And so we pray, Lord, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good and that we would uh, uh, partake of the gift of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.